the college football experience, Houston Cougars season preview on the sports gambling podcast networks presented by WinBet. Get started today and you get a risk-free bet up to $500 terms and conditions apply. Get the details at winbet.com. That's W Y N N bet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use the promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you by Underdog. Make sure you head over to UnderdogFantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a free $25. Yes, you can use the uh, free $25 to enter their Best Ball Mania 2. First place in best ball mania two gets a million dollars. That's right. Sign up now for a free shot at a million dollars. Drafts are happening constantly and it's not just NFL. They also have NBA MLB and more Underdogfantasy.com promo code SGPN for your chance to win a million dollars. We're also brought to you by the SGPN app. Just enter SGPN in the app store or Google play store today. This is Mike Leach, uh, head football coach at Mississippi state. And you're listening to SGPN. Let it ride. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, welcome to the college football experience, Houston Cougars season preview. My name is Colby Swinging Dan to base Dan, aka Pick Don D. That's not a pick. This is a pick, and we are talking Houston Cougar football. I mean, look, this has been a rich program. Yes, I understand. Last year was was a tough year, but COVID really did them. Dirty, and we'll get touch more on that in a bit. But cue the Dundee music here. Let's talk about Houston Cougar football. It wasn't that long ago that this team was was killing it with great seasons. I mean, back in 2015, 13 and one. Actually, if you look from 18, 2018, eight and five, 17, seven and five, 16, nine and four, 13 and one. They had a 13 and one season in 2011. They had a 10 win season in 2009. They had a 10 win season in 06. This is a rich program. This is a rich program. And I think they can get back to where they, they essentially need to be because this is a talented program. And with the 12 team playoff coming in the AAC, pretty much going to have that birth in a lot of years. So I think all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of hope, I think for, for Houston Cougar fans. I mean, they, there should be hope anyway, because of, of how talented that city is when it comes to football, Dana Holgerson, though, he's been a proven winner. He punted on his first season. He was trying to, I think redshirt a lot of people. And then who could have known COVID was around the corner and they got hit with COVID extremely bad, but Clayton tune, their star quarterback is back. They got a defense that's rock solid. And I'll be honest. I'm excited to learn more about this Q, this Cougar team. And uh, you know, we're going to have uh, Sam Raz host of the Scott and Holman podcast podcast podcast. Uh, I keep messing that up. P a W D C I S T though. Podcast. You get it? Like a, like a Cougar Paul uh, they're on Twitter at S H podcast give them a follow. Check them out. We're going to have Sam on talking Houston Cougar football. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
as we peel back the curtain and learn about the Cougars offensively, defensively run through that schedule, check out that win total and tell you maybe where you place a bet. If you like what we're saying, or maybe, maybe you think we're fools and you think, Hey, we'll take the other side of that. Either way, we'll have you covered on the college football experience here. And we're going to get Sam on the show right now. So here we go. Joining us on the college football experience podcast is co-host of the Scott and Holman podcast for Houston athletics, really Houston football, Houston athletics. I give you Sam Raz. How are you, Sam? I appreciate you hopping on and talking Cougar football with us. Doing great, Colby. Thanks for having me, man. Always glad to talk Cougar football. Yeah. And I mean, I guess before we really get into the season here, let's, I guess we should just talk about the elephant in the room here with the the looming 12 team playoff. Uh, you know, there's plenty of uh, experts, dare I say that, that say, uh, you know, with this 12 team playoff and if they go with that format, I understand there's a lot of hurdles before it's official, but in a way uh, you could make the case that the AAC specifically and I guess you could maybe throw Boise State or something in there, but the AAC might have just not only just got a huge pass in a way because over the past few years they've been the highest ranked uh, group of five, but also I think you could make the case that teams like a Houston, a Memphis, a UCF, a Cincinnati, they might become much, much more lucrative jobs than some of those middle of the road power conference jobs. What, what do you make would, of that statement? I, I would agree hundred percent. I think functionally kind of like you said at the top there, I, I wouldn't say it guarantees the AAC team uh, a playoff berth because you know, you could have a year where just everybody cannibalizes each other in the conference. And you've seen that there have been, there have been years where there are, there are a lot of pretty good teams, but everyone has two to three losses. So it's conceivable that it's not an automatic AAC playoff berth, but more years than not, I think if that is the system we come to here in a few years, this means functionally the AAC has the birth of the playoff. And yeah, I think it really does change the calculus. I mean, right now, much as I love Houston, much as I could talk your ear off about all the things that I think make Houston a great choice for, you know, Johnny football recruit to make right now, admittedly, you know, a team like, you know, functionally Vanderbilt doesn't really have a path to the college football playoff. Cause we know how Vanderbilt does year in year out. I'm not trying to take a shot at Vanderbilt here, but <laughs> right now, right now, they actually have a shot. Whereas Houston and any AAC team Boise really don't functionally have that. So yeah, I think it, it makes, it makes Houston a better job. It makes UCF Memphis, you know, all the teams that have, you know, gotten that, you know, G- group of five, New Year's six bull birth, the teams that have shown a capability to have that kind of ceiling. Oh yeah. It makes them a better job. It allows you to, you know, if you're the coach of that program to sell it as, Hey, we've got a pretty clear path to playoff in this conference. So yeah, I think it's great news. I think obviously I don't think that the people who run college football have altruistic intentions in doing this. I think they're trying to, you know, protect themselves down the road, but it's objectively still the possibility of a 12 team playoff that basically guarantee, well, does guarantee a sixth conference champion and a group of five team. That's likely the AAC It's still objectively good news. Even if the motivations behind it, like the motivations of, you know, any college football, you know, I guess uh figurehead it, it's, it's the money it's covering themselves, but still, still good news for, you know, fans of U of H and fans of uh, similar schools in our conference here. Yeah. And, and probably fans of my own podcast here, the college football experience, because I've been lobbying for a long time 
as a guy that's loved college football since I mean the early nineteen ninety two probably um, that the the sport, sport had gone stale, but also that the, it's just it's just unfair that a team basically like a UCF that wins twenty five games in a row or something or or whatever Boise is undefeated in Fiesta Bowls. They've been th- yeah. three and zero in Fiesta Bowls. You know, what averaging I mean? like, like ten or eleven wins a year for <laughs> since I was in elementary school. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it just made no sense that. You have a system where, uh, like, eighty of your teams or sixty of your teams are basically eliminated before they even kick off the football. Yeah. It just made no sense. So, uh, I mean, I, I would re. I mean, I can't wait. I'll put it like this. I ho- I'm hoping it's two years from now. We'll see. I know there's a lot of speculation about that, but all right. Well, let's get to the the Cougar the, the Cougar football scene. So, Dana Holgerson is in year three now. I, I in a way, I'm like, is it? Is that? Really say year three? I know year one he had players sit out, Derek King being one of them, and and purposely to try to strengthen the the next few years. But then COVID hits, crazy season a season ago, a three and five season, and I, what I almost want to say it's like year two for Holgerson. Would you feel like that statement is is accurate in a way? I think it's yeah, I think it's absolutely fair. I think. Everyone had a weird year. You can't use 2020 as an excuse totally because everybody dealt with the weirdness of the 2020 season. I will say, I think it was especially weird for Houston. You know, Houston broke fall camp early August last year, like most everyone else, and then didn't play a game until the first week of October. So that's two months of being in fall camp without playing, which I can't imagine has been what any of those guys, coaches, players, support staff have dealt with in their life. Houston had five games canceled in September. You had a rice and Washington state called the games back into the summer when they, you know, cha- you basically said they weren't going to play football for the foreseeable future. You had Memphis canceled because their COVID issues. You had UNT canceled because their COVID issues. You had a game added against Baylor. that got canceled about 24 hours before kickoff. So a very weird, a very weird start to the year. I thought UH looked very good. I thought you saw what this team could be against a solid Tulane team. I'm not going to oversell what Tulane was, but U of H quite honestly in the first game of the season ran a solid Tulane team off the field. I think it was their worst, worst rushing performance in a few years. And you're kind of thinking, okay, this is, this is what this team's going to look like. And then it, it just never really got off the ground. You know, there's some context behind that. Marquez Stevenson misses about half the year. Peyton Turner, who just got drafted in the first round by the saints, misses about half the year. Donovan mutant, your top middle linebacker, doesn't play after the Navy game. I think it's two, three games into the season and just did, had instability on the offensive line when quite frankly, that was your weakest position, even with everyone hundred percent healthy. So there's context, there's reasons behind that three and five. There's, I think reasons to think that year three could be better, but I would also temper that and say the offensive creativity wasn't where a lot of people liked it to be. And now is that because you're dealing with a patchwork offensive line is that just because the running game isn't where the staff likes it? You know, I think, I think year three will answer a lot of those questions. I think no one can deny that Houston's 2020 was especially weird, even by the 2020 standards. And you can't read, you can't read what you would read into a normal season out of the 2020 season. That being said, I think the coaching staff camp lacking in some areas. I think, I think it certainly sowed some seeds of doubt. I, I don't think anyone reasonable, you know, certainly after, you know, COVID, everything was suggesting that you should make any kind of major change after the 2020 season. But I think it caused a lot of people to dial back optimism in this fan base, I think, including 
myself to an extent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Holgerson just seven and 13 in two years. And I mean, I, we're previewing all 130 teams on the college football experience here. So I've, I've gone through a bunch of other teams and it's funny with, with, you know, whether it's podcast hosts or, or beat writers or whatever for the other schools that we've done, uh, they always get to Houston and they say they're not achieving the way I thought they'd be when they hired Holgerson away from a power five, you know, Holgerson former uh, played under Mike Leach and Hal mummy who are friends of ours on this show. So we were rooting for Holgerson, but at the same time, I, I, I would be lying if I told you I was expecting seven and 13 two years into uh, whatever, you know, I understand the COVID issues. I understand he sat a lot of players. Uh, I think in year one, hoping for uh, better days in the future, but the reality is seven and 13 to seven and 13. I still think got to give him a little bit more time, but uh, the offense though, you mentioned that offensive line. Well, I mean, just, there was a 53rd best scoring offense in college football a season ago. Once again, these numbers could be extremely jaded because certain teams played four games, certain teams played 10, certain teams played 12. It's really, if, if there was ever a year not to trust, the, trust these numbers, it would have been last year, 83rd, yeah. 83rd rushing offense in the country, 34th passing offense in the country, 55th overall offense, Clayton tune. I think we, we all think he's a stud. I think a, a good quarterback, but you are just returning one offensive lineman and Dennis Hardwell. Uh, yes. You're going the grad transfer route, bringing in a center, Cody Russi from La tech who started 44 games. But do we, do we definitely expect the offensive line to be much improved? I don't know if I would say definitely on that. I, th- I think there, there are questions there. I do think Patrick Paul, who missed a good chunk of the 2021 season is a recruit. The staff liked a lot. They gave him a look at the end of the 2019 season. And as you know, it's pretty rare for a true freshman to get a look. And he actually filled in for Josh Jones, a guy who ended up getting drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. And, and what really impressed me, I remember when he got out in the field against Memphis, the first time in 2019, it took me a second to realize, Oh wait, that guy's a different number. Just, just because of how physically developed Patrick Paul was for a true freshman at the time. That being said, we're still talking about a guy who's played less than 10 games in his career, but he definitely has the look of a future pro left tackle. Will, will that come to fruition over his career? Obviously you have years of development to figure that out, but you know, bringing back to S Bardwell, I think he's been valuable. I think if he could just get a full healthy season under his belt, because he's been a guy that's been in the mix the last few years. He actually backed up Jared Williams, who is uh, I believe the starting right tackle now of Miami with Derek King and, you know, brought in tank Jenkins from a and M pretty good recruit was in that Aggie program a couple of years, sat out last year, do transfer rules, Cody Rusty, who you just mentioned to I'm, I'm quite excited about. I think that was really the specific piece. This offensive line needed the most was an interior guy, interior guy with experience who played for a pretty solid program in law tech. I think verbatim, when we talked immediately after the Hawaii bowl, we talked like, what's this team's immediate need? What is this team screaming out for? It was for exactly Cody Rusty, an offensive lineman grad transfer who had significant experience in a conference that maybe was a rung below the AAC. So definitely improved. I'm not so sure about, but in terms of just injury luck, if they just get a full 2021 season with mostly the same five guys, I mean, expecting hundred percent health, I think is unrealistic. You just, you just don't get that, especially in the trenches, but not a mash unit where you're having to have a different guy each week. I always like to compare and contrast major Apple whites last season, the 2018 season and 2019. I think Holgerson had to play, I think eight or nine different combinations of guys in 2019, whereas Applewhite played six total different starters in 2018. Yeah. A lot of stability. I don't think it's coincidental that that 2018 offense significantly outperformed what Houston's done in 2019 and 2020. Is it 
all the offensive line? No, but it's kind of like having a car with a bad engine. If your offensive line is unstable or you know, just constantly having guys in different positions, it do, it almost doesn't matter what you have behind it. Your, your engine's busted. You're not going to be able to do anything with it. So am I sure this engine is hundred percent ready to go, you know, take the open road. I'm not so sure, but I feel like at a certain point, Houston is just bound to not have a season where you're constantly having to shift guys in and out. You're losing tackles and season ending injuries that you get to as Bardwell healthy for a whole season. But you know, if, if this offensive line isn't healthy or if, you know, the guys, at the guard positions really do fail to up expectations, you know, yeah, I could very easily see us, you know, t- having an offense very similar to 2019 and 2020. And in that case, it's probably going to be a pretty disappointing season on the whole. Uh, well, is, is, is it, um, I know mobile car is, is uh, I think set at running back, but is this going to be more of a running back by committee you think, or is this, is it this will, it definitely okay. it, the, the staff really wants to do a running back by committee. And I think mobile car and mobile car over his career, he's had some incredible individual games. He ran for a bunch of actually Derek King's first ever start in 2017 versus South Florida. He had a monster game against them <clears throat> in 2019 when UCF had one of the better defenses in the AAC. Bulbacar rushed for over 100 yards in the first <coughs> excuse me half, but then he would you know he would get hurt. I think he runs very north south, very physical, and and it's just a guy who hasn't been able to stay healthy for a whole season. But you have Bulbacar, but I think the guy that was really exciting out of spring ball was Tajon Henry out of uh, Texas Tech. Was a transfer, played his true freshman season, was actually their leading rusher when. Texas tech threw for 600 something yards against us up in Lubbock in 2018 played two years. There didn't really mesh with what Matt Wells is doing there. Transferred to U of H along with subsequently Kashawn Carter, who I think is going to be one of our top receivers this year. And, and Alex Hogan, who I think is going to be in the mix at, uh, at cornerback. I think Tajon Henry is going to be a guy to watch a smaller guy, but I think does what Holgers and the staff like to do. There can catch passes out of the backfield. I expect another senior, former walk-on guy, Chandler Smith to, CD smack carries and Kellen Walker, a guy who saw some action early last year and ended up having a season ending injury. I think he's a good change of pace, third down back kind of guy. So I would say I expect at least three guys to get something approaching significant carries to the running back position for the Cougs. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then the receivers, I know you Stevenson's gone, but you, you bring back Jeremy Singleton, you bring back two of three starters from a season ago, from what I understand. And, and in your tight end, Christian Trahan or Trahan, I think that might be um, Correct. The, the air game was fine. A season ago, 34th best passing offense. So you got to think tune back. Uh, uh, I think it's going to be an improved offensive line. And yes, Stevenson was a beast. Are you, it was, but but I feel like skill positions at Houston is never a problem. Um, uh, how do you expect the pass game to go? I think receiver is a big a big question mark, and I mean Holgerson was very 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 outspoken during the offseason. He was not happy with what his receiver room was doing. He actually, and I I think controversy is the wrong word for it. Two steps below controversy, but ended up uh, during the spring season uh, or as, after the spring uh, season dismissing uh, Tyron Carrier uh, very very well loved Cougar uh, receiver from the early two thousands was one of Keenum's favorite targets back in the day, dismissed him and promoted uh, one of the player personnel guys to kill shorts who played for Holgerson, West Virginia to receiver coach for the season. And, and it's been pretty uh, tight over there in terms of what prompted that and why, and I won't speculate, but it, it was surprising. It was notable. Like you don't usually see coaches get dismissed in May. And so that was notable, maybe not as surprising because 
you know, you had a whole offseason Holgerson saying receivers, not what I'm happy with receivers, the weakest position, but you do have Kashawn, you have Kashawn Carter coming from Texas tech. You have tank Dell and Jeremy Singleton, two of your top three guys from last year. I think, you know, with tank Dell, it's just him getting the reps. I thought he had a real solid first division one FBS season last year. He previously played at Alabama A&M and uh, last chance U independence community college. And I thought gave a good account of himself for his first time against division, you know, one competition with an extended look, but you know, still, still not the finished product there. Jeremy Singleton has had his moments. He got a real nice uh, run in 2019 when, uh, when Holgerson was doing the redshirt thing originally and has shown flashes, but not a season's worth of production. Trey hands. I think the staff's favorite receiver. That was one of the very first things Holgerson said when he came in in 2019, which was interesting because Trey wasn't exactly a guy on everyone's radar, but said, this guy's be playing on Sundays. This guy's better than Trevon Wesco, who he had just gotten done coaching at West, West Virginia got drafted by the Jets. So I, I think with Trey the staff loves him. I would also like to see him targeted more than two or three times a game. If the staff thinks he's this great difference maker, because when he gets the ball in his hand, the guy, the guy shows that he's every bit of what the staff believes to be hype wise. I think it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, how to get the tight end involved. But I, I think Trey hands, Trey hands, a guy who, if the staff finds the right role for him could absolutely be all conference. When it's all said and done this year. Yeah. I'm cautiously, I'm cautiously optimistic about what they have a receiver besides that. But I think there's a lot of unknown there. And I think that's the biggest question mark of the, of the skill group of the quarterbacks, receivers and backs is, is the Cougar receivers right now. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, now defensively, it's always great when we do these previews and I'm sure you know this, but we see a team with 10 starters back. You circle that and say, Hey, I like that. Now they were 80th in scoring defense, 66 against the run 62nd against the pass charting at 55th overall, which isn't horrible when you consider, especially the kind of season they had with the, their issues, bringing back 10 starters. How, how do you, I mean, they, they got a Doug Belk defensive coordinator. I, I feel like he's got to be happy with the, a, the results last season, considering the situation and then bringing back 10 starters. Yeah, I think I don't know what the Cougar football season is going to be on the whole. There are so many questions. I think a lot of it on offense. We just got done talking about. I'm very confident what the Cougar defense has. I think this is going to be the best Cougar defense we've had since Tom Herman's last year. Will that translate to the overall record being great? And I think the pressure being taken off Holgerson. I'm not so sure. I think a lot of answers are with the offense there, but I'm very confident with what they have coming back defensively. I thought it was definitely a very up and down defense last year. I think you had some great performances, you know, holding Tulane to their fewest rushing yards since Willie Fritz got there. I thought they collapsed late against BYU, but I think that was a lot more about the offense coming apart than the defense. I thought they did admirably against Zach Wilson. I think that was the one game that uh return man dynamo and your number two corner. Oh God, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Jones Jones. He, uh, he missed that one game and that was the one game UH really could not afford to not have their number two corner and Zach Wilson threw for a bunch of yards, but you saw a Cougar defense that, you know, against opponents they were expected to do well against did, did quite well. I mean, you look at the last two games of the season, Memphis and Hawaii, both losses, but you can't really fault too much in terms of the defensive performance in either of those games. You do lose one big notable in Peyton Turner. It was a first round pick of the saints was a great pass rusher, a guy who developed from, a no star recruit into just one of the better athletes I've ever seen come through this program, but you return so much, a ridiculously deep defensive line, 
a defensive line that if you brought in no impact guys, I think still would be the strength of this defense, but you also brought in Latrell Bankston, who was a big impact guy for Iowa state uh, Cedric Williams, who was a 2020 signee who opted out of last season because of COVID was the Texas junior college defensive player of the year. He's now in the fold and a bunch of stars. This guy, Logan Hall, who's played a fair amount. He actually got thrown into the fire as a true freshman on just a truly awful 2018 Cougar defense in Applewhite's last year. Uh, everyone just could not stop talking about him and what he's done from kind of a hybrid interior rush end position as a guy, I think listed six, six two sixty or something like that. So uh, a guy who certainly has the natural athleticism. And I think Holgerson said it, you know, in his post spring comments, he said, the defense kicks our butt every day. I couldn't be more happy with them. You have Donovan mutant coming back at linebacker. They've moved down Deontay Anderson, who one time was a one-time top hundred national recruit. I have Manville. Uh, with Derek King here in the Houston area and just basically every level you want to look at secondary linebacker, defensive line. There are multiple starters with significant experience, guys who have shown they can do well at the collegiate level. Giovanni Stewart, who followed Holgerson from West Virginia, both of your, your corners uh, from last year back, just a very experienced defense. I think the expectations are as high as they've been since that 2016 team. Obviously you don't have, at Oliver, that that sort of changes it a bit, but I feel like in terms of a larger cast, this defense is better than anything we've had in five years. And if the offense even can be top 35 level, I'm not even saying top 25, top 15 level. If this could be a top 35 offense, I think this is this is a defense that's good enough to you know have the Cougars around nine or ten wins. I, I really, as you can probably tell, I feel I feel quite confident and you know quite excited to see what this defense can do. I like to hear that. Uh, we, by the way, we're talking to Sam Raz, co-host of the Scott and Holman podcast podcast. That's P a W D C a S T. Uh, check that out. Uh, let's get to the win total here. I mean, Vegas is calling for eight now blindly. If you had told me eight and if I hadn't seen the schedule, I would say, you know, based on what he's done so far, I think I'd probably lean under now. Uh, not to say that he would have a bad year. I could just see seven and five, something like that. But um, I look at the schedule. I quickly pull that up, and I the first thing I notice is no UCF, no Cincinnati. That's yep. a win-win situation there. Um, let's get to the schedule because out, out the gate, I think if you're a Houston fan, which I know you are, but I'm saying if the listeners out there, you want to circle this Texas Tech game because I think if you get this one. I, I think there's a chance you could win every other game on your schedule. <laughs> yeah. I think you're going to, you're going to learn a lot about this team in week one. I think, you know, you see a lot of the teams in week one, they'll play a cupcake or they'll, they'll play an easy win. And I, I don't think uh, Texas Tech's a powerhouse, but I do think th- that they're a good solid opponent easily in the top two or three most difficult opponents on the schedule. And for better or for worse, you know, if Houston comes out there and plays a close game, he plays a one possession coin flip kind of game or wins it. I'm feeling pretty optimistic, like a, a close loss here. Obviously it's going to sting, but you know, you, you play a coin flip kind of game with Texas tech. I, I feel fairly optimistic. If you looks like the second best team out there at energy stadium opening week, he obviously you still have 11 games left to play. That's, that's going to be a hard one to get people really. It's a hard, it's going to be a hard one for people to, uh, to deal with. It's going to, be kind of a hangover over the rest of the season. If it's a pretty subpar effort out of the gate, uh, you know, what's cra- I, I would favor 
Houston, not by much, but I would favor Houston with it being in Houston. Uh, do you, I think do you, the I think the line is is six right now. The last I saw, I know it opened at seven with, with Texas. Or I'm sorry, with uh, Houston, with Texas Tech. We know with Texas Tech being favored. Yeah, sign me up for the home dog here. I, I know that it's a big year for Matt Wells, and from what I understand, people in Lubbock apparently never really wanted him. So it's even though it's year, year three for him or two point five, whatever you want to say, it's a huge year for him. That 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 makes this game really compelling to me. Is knowing seeing this Houston schedule going through the, all these, these breakdowns and, and seeing the possibility of what could be a special year. Now gun to my head. I, I'm not saying this because you host a Houston podcast. I think I would favor Houston. So give me Houston to win that one. Yeah. I, I kind of wish as my big gripe, I kind of wish it was being played on campus. Not that Texas tech doesn't get humidity way up there in the panhandle, but you play a game in early September. That's not, that. that's not the kind of thing that, Texas Tech's players are dealing with in their training camp. And I think it's, a, it's obviously not fun to sit out and watch a game in, but it is quite the home field advantage. I remember dating myself here, but when we played Texas Tech in 2009 at the old Robertson stadium, their guys, the last quarter to half of that game were cramping up bad. They were not prepared because I don't think you can prepare for September humidity in Houston, which upsets me because we're going to be playing this game in beautiful 72 degree NRG stadium and just, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not a fan of, I'm also not a big fan of the pro, the pro neutral, pro neutral site game. Yes. Anyway, but thank you, man. We are going to be fast friends, man, because first yes. off I, I hate dome football in general football is made to be outdoors. But uh, then the fact the neutral site game, I hate it when they do these NFL games. I know Miami and Bama are playing at a and M's playing Colorado. They put it at, yep. at mile high and not Boulder. College football. What makes college football so great are the games on campus, the energy, the the, the, the stadium. Yes, it, it it I and that's what's killing me. Even with the twelve team playoff, like they were smart enough to be like, hey, the first four, it's on campus, and I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. But then it's like you're still catering to the bowl games. I don't care about them. Put the what yeah. makes college sports in general, whether it's college basketball, which I know you guys just had a great run. It's the home environment. It's that's yep. what makes it better than to me, pro sports. Um, so it, it does kill me to see that game, uh, but I'm going to give that one to Houston week two. They're at rice. Uh, you know, look, I think this is a win, but if you have that big win against Texas tech, I do think rice is going to be better this year. Mike Bloomgren, I think is doing a solid job there. Now, obviously I'm going to favor Houston, but I just don't want you guys to be asleep at the wheel here because I do think rice, yeah. rice is going to be better this year. I mean the, the 2018 season opener, our rice team that over the course of the year is objectively awful for two and a half quarters made me sweat more than the 95 degree, hundred <laughs> percent humidity, 11 AM kickoff did. I think at one point rice was up two scores in that one well into the third quarter. And that was a significantly worse team. I would feel worse about rice if they brought back Mike Collins, you know, if they brought back an experienced signal caller of any kind, I'd be a little bit more concerned. Not that not that U of H isn't capable of stubbing its toe against the most random of teams. Cause if you go, you go look at the last however many years you will, you will scan the schedule and find even the, even the 2015 season, U of H's best season, probably in my lifetime still, still had a loss at UConn. So you're going to lose an unexpected game here and there. It's probably not a Houston phenomenon, but yeah, it'd be a good one. Good first Bayou bucket game since 2018. Uh, it's the what rivalry trophy we have. So It'll be, it'll be a good one. It'll, I think it's a game U of A should expect to win. Uh, but, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the McCaffrey kid uh, is the answer at quarterback for rice. 
Yeah, I got to, so I got you guys at two and zero. Oh, then you get Grambling State of the FCS. I got you at three and zero, oh, and I think that's a great. The reason why the schedule breaks so many different ways uh, in your favor is because I think normally you want two weeks to prep for a triple option. Well, I understand you have Grambling, uh, but I think you'll be able to get in a little bit of some maybe some early practices on that triple option because Navy's following uh, that that Grambling game. Navy is a team that I, I always think like we pencil in these wins and it's almost, it's, I feel like each conference at uh, Georgia Southern in the Sun Belt's very similar. You pencil in the win because of the talent difference. And then the game actually gets played and it's either a nail biter where you narrowly escape or you lose. Um, that game always scares me on, and on any schedule to me is when you're playing a triple option team, but I like the fact you're getting an FCS team the week before. So I'm going to have you guys starting out four and zero. How do you feel about that? I, I, w- I would love to see it happen. I feel pretty decent about it. I think, yeah, I think the tech game's winnable. I think for me, the question with the Navy is, is they just, it was bizarre. They just couldn't run the option last year. They were a bad running team. And it's just so weird for me conditioned to see about 20 years of Navy, you know, varying degrees of good, but always at least effective running the football. And they just could not run the football <laughs> to save their lives. Have last you seen Nia Montalolo's statements on that? Apparently like they lost a ton the year before. And then the fact that beca- oh yeah, they, they didn't have contact practice. I think yeah. before the that BYU game, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. he was saying that that was everything. And he was, uh, he's off this off season said that, uh, you know, it ruined our, we couldn't get our tempo down until late in the season. Just, just the fact with, with the triple option, you really got to be, you know, uh, on, on one unit essentially. And he said that that didn't happen until very, very late in the season. Uh, so uh, in a way, I almost think we got to throw that season out the window sure, for yeah. Navy. Um, but I, I do got you guys four and oh, and then this is the big one to me is at Tulsa, which I, I am still bullish on Tulsa. I know they lost their quarterback. Yeah. I like what Philip Montgomery's doing there in, in uh, Tulsa. And this, this is must watch TV. And I love the fact it's a Friday night game. Cause I, I this is going to, I'm already, Hey, Telling the girlfriend, "Hey, we're not going to watch a movie this Friday night. This is this is what I'm doing Friday night. Houston at Tulsa at Chapman Stadium. So, um, I will say this: gun to my head, I would take Tulsa if I had to on this one. Yeah, I think the big question with them is is how they figure out their losses on defense because that was an amazing defense they had last year. That I'm not saying their offense didn't do anything, but the thing that drove the engine on that Tulsa team that went to the conference championship was a good defense, not not just uh Zaven Collins, although obviously Zaven Collins was one of the best defensive players, if not the best in the country, but they had a very good secondary, a Caleb Evans and Allie green. The fourth, they lose all those guys. So Allie green, the fourth and a Caleb Evans both transferred out. Uh, they do still have Jackson player, but I mean, I, I don't think you can easily just write off, you know, losing your top two corners, losing a generational kind of freak like Zaven Collins. I, still, I, I, I would honestly, if I didn't have my Houston bias here, I wouldn't feel, I still don't feel great about it. Uh, Chapman Stadium has been kind of a house of horrors for us. Uh, Art Bryles last season, they beat us 56 to seven there. Uh, 2017, just an absolutely awful Tulsa team just took U of H to the cleaners. A game, a game that I uh, road tripped to nine hours each way to go to uh, for the privilege for the, for the privilege of watching the worst Tulsa team of the 21st century, beat the, beat the brakes off the Cougs. So uh, certainly wouldn't certainly wouldn't rule out uh, Tulsa, Tulsa spoiling U of H's start to the season there. I I do think it'll be kind of a coin flip game, but I think it'll be interesting to see what Tulsa does that first month or so of the season. Are they able to make up for the defensive losses? Is Davis Britton 
a capable fill-in for Zach Smith and, you know, can, can they finally look like a functional offensive team? Cause that was Montgomery's big selling point when he got there was, Hey, this was one of the brains behind the great Baylor veer and shoot. And they had some good offenses early on, but you know, in all actuality for the last four years, they've been kind of a iffy offensive team. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I, 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 yeah, I think that's that's going to be a real inflection point of the season for the Cougs. And you make good points with them losing those players on defense. I actually think the quarterback play can be better this year for Tulsa. Yeah. But, but I'll also say that me picking Tulsa, this is a coin flip game. It's just the fact that it's in Tulsa. This is what I project is like a 34-31 like, hey, whoever you know survives late in the fourth quarter with a, a play here, a play there. Yep. Um I will say this though. I do like the fact much like I made the case with getting the week, getting Grambling State the week before Navy, teams coming off the triple option. Oh yeah, you get beat body, up. I think it's body blow. Yeah. yeah, you get beat up. So I, I think if Tulsa's circling that, they're probably. I mean, uh, who knows? Um, I just think that could be a nice advantage for them being at home oh, yeah, and then having sure. them face that. But then the following week, another another uh, weekday game, national TV, uh, ESPN uh, at Tulane, where. Uh, I know last year you guys blew out Tulane, but the year before this was, Ooh, yeah. this was a wild one uh, in uh Yolman stadium in, in new Orleans. Uh, I I'm going to favor you guys here. I do like Willie Fritz a lot though. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me, but I, I just think last year you guys really made a statement against them. I like the quarterback to have Michael Pratt. I, I think, I think Michael Pratt uh, with a full season is going to be a lot different player than the guy we saw making, I want to say if it wasn't his, I think it was his first, first start. start. I think it was a season. Yeah. It was his first start. It wasn't a season debut uh, at TDCU stadium last year. I think it's going to be a different guy, but I also think it's a better Cougar defense. And obviously, you know, the, the health of the Cougar offense is probably the, the game changer there. Yeah. Like whether, whether or not this is a unit that looks, that looks more like U of H at the beginning of the 2020 season versus U of H at the end of the 2020 season. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm going to give you that one. Uh, then you get a bye week before hosting. You know, I, I I'm an ECU guy, so I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping for the upset here. But on my ECU on the ECU pod, I took Houston. So just so you know, it took a lot for me to say that. But you guys will take down my Pirates, I think, uh, in Houston. Uh, I wish it was in Greenville, and I still don't even know if we have that program where we where we need it or where it used to be. But uh, I got a win there. Then you're home to SMU. Now this one, I, I find SMU to be a really interesting team. I love the Jim Levitt hire at defensive coordinator to go with Sonny Dykes air raid. It's kind of crazy to me that you could have, I, I don't know that I've ever seen Levitt with an air raid offense. If so, it's been a long time. Um, I like, I, I love this matchup and I, I, with it being in Houston, I'll favor you guys, but I truly, this is like the Tulsa game to me. It's going to be like 34, 31 with three minutes left. Whoever gets the ball ass might win it. Uh, what's your feel in this game? That's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be a good one for the if, if the U of H offense has improved over from last year. It's gonna be a good one for the neutral fans. There's a lot of a lot of point scoring. Yeah, you know, SMU. Much as I'm loath to say anything nice about that program, Reggie Roberson's back. I thought. Yeah, I don't think whoever they have is gonna be Shane Bouchelle. I think that's an unrealistic expectation for any first year quarterback. But I think some combination of Tanner Mordecai and Preston Stone. It isn't going to be bad at quarterback. Ulysses Bentley is pretty good. I thought, I thought the 2019 matchup was an interesting one because even with even with Shane Bouchelle, I feel it was a it was a surprisingly close game. It ended up being a 34-31 final, and really that game, I think you know, cemented to me that Clayton Tune is is the tough tough guy who can lead your team. Is the kind of leader 
that you want out there. Cause he just got absolutely just hammered by SMU in that one. I think took eight or nine sacks was basically anytime he did anything, but a quick, a quick out, he was getting pounded by the SMU defensive line and that the Cougars were able to make some stuff happen. Yeah. I think, I think Sonny Dykes wants his defense to be aggressive. I think Jim Levin is a guy who tendency wise is pretty aggressive. So yeah, I think that could, that could burn them. I, I think in the 2019 match between his two teams, because I think even though Kevin Kane philosophy wise is, is different, Kevin Kane was also a pretty aggressive defensive coordinator in the Cougars. The Cougars were able to take advantage of some of that aggress- aggression. were able to break open some big plays, but at the same time, Mark West Stevenson, your game changer receiver, no longer there. So I think, you know, whether or not the Cougs can really get some, you know, difference making from the receiver group difference making that we haven't seen from any of these guys. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be a big breaking point, but I think, I think the Cougar defense versus SMU offense, that's going to be an a one matchup. I'm, yeah. I'm very excited for it. Can't wait. I, 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 this is like uh, another one that I would circle as a very pivotal game. Um, then you're, you're at Jeff Scott's bunch in South Florida. I don't even know what to think of them yet. I mean, I think every first year coach but deserves a, a win, pass. but you know, yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah he's, it's going to take him a while to get that thing it's, looking it, like it's supposed to. It's a win. I, I think for sure. Now I will say this next one, I'm interested because for some reason, and, and maybe I feel like when, with the AAC, when you go have to play a November game at temple, it just, I know they were, they were bad last year, but they were a lot of close games and they, they had COVID issues themselves. I believe, yep. I mean, I think everyone did, but the year before that, I think they won eight games. This team brings in Dewan Mathis, a Georgia transfer, a quarterback, and and this team like carries Forte, I believe, is is his defenses, and I feel like this could be a, a slippery game, being that it's probably going to be cold as shit, and and you're going to be in Philadelphia at a at a weird state, kind of a sleepy stadium because they don't get that many fans there. It's just yeah. a weird game to me. I think obviously you guys are the better team, but I just I also looking at the schedule, I go, Ooh, that could get tricky. That one could get tricky. What's, what's your take on uh, in Lincoln financial field against temple. If any game has the hallmarks of an inexplicable, you know, game that everyone was certain was a win that ends up being a U of H loss. It's that one. I think U of H should be the favorite. I think there's a good chance U of H goes out there and wins. But I mean, like you said, like just, I could very much see just a, you know, six and one Cougar team or whatever going out there and losing a 17, 13 game and just breaking my spirit. It just, it, it would very much fit in with uh, my life as a Cougar football fan, Cougar fan <laughs> generally for, for the temple game to be kind of the banana peel game. I, I absolutely have. Well, the same I, thoughts I just about that feel one. like, I feel like it's a lot of the AAC, whether it's my years when ECU was decent and you had to go play at temple and you're thinking, Oh, this is a win. They only have four wins or five wins, and it's just a gritty game. They always have good defensive players, whether back to the Muhammad Wilkerson days, uh, yep. to you know, and and I just feel like they're a physical team, and it, a lot of times, I, I most of the AAC is from the South, so like even UCF, I feel like when they go up to Temple, they get a, a tougher game than you bargain for. Sometimes and a lot of times it's like a rainy game, you know, it's kind of a sleepy game, and I just feel like this is a complete trap game right there. But I, I mean, I'm gonna take. Te- blindly I'll take Houston to win that. But I just, I look at the schedule and I, I hesitate there and I go, Oh, that could, that could be the one. Cause when you come back home after that, you get Memphis and Memphis did all right. Considering it was Silverfield's first year, but I thought they got extremely lucky. I know my co-host that's normally with me. He, he defends Ryan Silverfield and thinks that program's still looking great. I, I said, man, they were lucky. They were like the, one of the luckiest teams I thought in college football last year. Oh yeah. 
And uh, so I like, I think Houston's in a better spot than Memphis. Um, what's, what's your take on that one? It just feels like since that super unlikely U of H coming back from 21 down the fourth quarter to win in 2015 game, that this team has just been cursed against Memphis, you know, lost in the last 30 seconds of the 2016 game, Tom Herman's last game blew a, blew a 21, nothing halftime lead to lose in 2017 last year for all intents and purposes, looked like the game was going to overtime. Memphis gets a, you know, far downfield pass interference kicks a 40 something yard field goal as time expires to win it. I think ESPN had it as one of the most statistically unlikely wins <laughs> of the 2020 season, which it feels really great if you're the team on the, uh, on the receiving end of that. So while I feel like Memphis has gotten some luck to go their way the last five years in this series, I almost just feel like I can't predict it until it happens. I'm just, I've, <laughs> I have so much trauma response from the last five years of watching us find various ways to lose to Memphis. But, but I, I agree with you. I I'm not sold on Silverfield there yet. They had a lot of guys going to the portal and, and a surprising amount. I mean, I obviously transfers, you know, transfers are so much more fluid now than they were even seven, eight years ago. Yeah. But I, I, even I was surprised by the amount of guys that left there. I feel like a lot of their difference makers. I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on Grant Cannell or the LSU guy being the answer uh, mm-hmm. at quarterback. Certainly not the way Brady white was there. So certainly, certainly a team good enough to beat U of H certainly not, you know, airtight confident that U of H can beat Memphis, but it's a game I'm feeling a lot better about now than I have the last few years of us uh, squaring off with Memphis. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I get it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong with that because I, I, every week it felt like last, last season, I was texting my co-host in the third quarter saying Memphis sucks. And then they'd win that game. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give that to you guys, but I, I, I know your situation there. So then the final game of the season and it's funny, <laughs> it's funny. This is at UConn, which uh, by the way, New York times crowned national champion because they didn't play a season. What a, what a joke. Yep. Um, uh, but this is weird to me. I, I was, it's very weird. It's a weird game. And I was telling my co-host he's not here, uh, but uh, I said, man, if you look at Randy Etzel's career in year, I think four and now granted they didn't have a season last year, but if you go back to like his first year at staying at Yukon and even at Maryland, he, I think they went seven and six his fourth year at Maryland. I go, could that be the team that like, I know, I know this sounds crazy because they were so bad the last time I saw them, but I'm like year four in this guy's history, he's actually been pretty good. <laughs> I, I just, mean, it's, they just have such a, such a hole to dig themselves out of in terms of talent, just in terms of what's on that roster, you know, as compared to Mary, I, I think, I think he didn't realize that when he took this job is just how, how much more difficult it is to win at UConn in 20, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019 now, as opposed to what it was in 2007 or 2008, when he was the coach the first time when he was, when he was part of it in the old big East. And I think for not entirely incorrect reasons, I think institutionally, they just realize like what we, what we do in football, we being UConn's case, it's pretty limited. Like you're not gonna, you're gonna be, you know, the eighth or ninth choice. If you try to recruit kids from a warm weather state, there is I think people have this misconception that that division one talent like stops around the Mason Dixon line. There's a lot, there's a lot of division one guys, you know, in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, even, even a little bit further North. I think Bama signed a corner out of Connecticut, not that long ago, but 
the creme de la creme, the good division one players in the area, they're not choosing UConn. Yeah, yeah, UConn's not yeah. even it, UConn's not even the fifth <laughs> or sixth choice, and and just I think re- them realizing that hey, we could be really awesome at basketball, we could be really aw- awesome at the Olympic sports, our ceiling in football if we get really lucky, make the right hire, and hit on a bunch of under the rare recruits is winning five or six games. And he, he, I'm sure he, yeah. t- he took them to a BCS game. I'm sorry to cut he you did. off. He no, took them. I, to- <laughs> he did. They beat Notre. They beat Notre Dame in South Bend. Yeah. What was it in like 2009? I mean, really unbelievable. Like, like I said, like, look, I'm not expecting them to be good, but I'm like, he did it once before. I know that it was different. I know the AAC is better than the, in my opinion, better, deeper than the big East. Cause the back then the big East temple was not very good. And, and, and even Rutgers, well, I guess they were kind of coming on then, but um, it's still a weird game and it still could be cold as shit. It's, this could be like a snow game, but I, I mean, I, I, th- I got to favor you guys by like three touchdowns based on the last time I seen UConn play. But uh, uh, yeah, I know you alluded to one earlier where you guys went up there and, and took an L. What, how long ago was that? That was that was uh, 2015, which I made the fateful decision. I was uh, I was working and finishing my undergrad at the time. I was like, if I can get a ticket for under X dollars to Hartford, I'm doing it. And I found a ticket for under that, so I went up there and uh, caught in person as UConn just beat us inexplicably. It, it just one of the more bizarre games I've ever ever had the privilege of watching in my life. I will say that <laughs> UConn team, that 2015 squad would probably beat this one by three to four touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I call me crazy. They play a week zero game and I, I was trying to highlight that game and I go, I mean, Fresno, they play. And I was like, I just have, I have no idea with UConn. That's I, they didn't play last year. So I have no idea. I think they're going to be absolutely horrible, but I don't know. It'll be interesting. Obviously I'm going to favor Houston here. So I, I, that means I pretty much have Houston winning nine games, man. I I think worst case scenario, you lose the Texas tech Tulsa. I mean, I guess some of those are, are, are 50, 50, you could say the SMU, but I would fa- I still don't think it's 50, 50. I think it's like something like 55, 45, because you guys are at home. So I, I I'm on the over I'd originally, I thought the eight wins was crazy, but uh, give me the over and in, in the Houston Cougars. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's to me. I don't think it's like a, a lock by any means, because I think that Navy game could be tricky, but temple uh, could be tricky. Yeah. Temple could be tricky, but I think nine, nine and three, 10 and two, I, I'll be honest, man. If you win to the Texas tech game out the gate, you could have a really special season that I, that maybe none of us, I mean, maybe you as, as a, as a, as a host and a fan of, of uh, Houston, <laughs> maybe you could, may, maybe you would see this, but uh, may, maybe uh, I can tell you that before I looked at the schedule, I was not expecting anywhere close to that. I was thinking seven and five, eight and four. Look at the schedule, the way it breaks and everything. Maybe Holgerson's got this this program right where he needs it. Yeah, and I think if this this team is nine and three, because I, I feel even if this team has a nine and three season, and let's just say Houston ends up being the second best team and goes to the championship with, eight, with uh, Cincy, Cincinnati's going to win the damn thing. This is Cincy's league this year. Cincy, I think, is pretty clearly the number one and. I don't think it's any knock on Houston, Central Florida, Memphis, you know, insert name of other AAC team that are not because I just really think like yeah. that Cincy team might be the best AAC team in the seven or eight year history of this league. It's a, it's a Cincy team that they won't get selected to the playoff to be clear, not by any fault of their own, but yeah. a, a Cincy team that could make a playoff omission as glaring as a playoff omission we've seen in the, the four team era. But I, I would, I would feel, and I think 
the fan base writ large would feel a lot better with the trajectory would wipe out a lot of the bad taste of the seven and 13 start in last year and the year before with a nine and three season where Houston was around the, the top of the league was in contention, if not in the conference championship game. I, I think it, that's, that's the expectation around the program. Is it 12 and 0? Sure. So I'm sure some people have just a 12 and 0 or bust kind of mentality because some people are complete idiots, but <laughs> But I think that I think that's the expectation. It's a friendly, it's a friendly schedule. It's the kind of schedule you need to put up a good win total against. And if you don't, I'm not saying Holgerson will be gone because you have to pass the hat around and put a lot of money in it to, to buy, buy him, him out, out after this yeah. year. Yeah. But it's gonna make it's gonna make 2022 pretty a, a pretty no-win situation for all involved. If if you can't if this team stays mostly healthy and you can't get nine wins with a bowl win against the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I do think if you, if that Texas tech game, if you lose that one out the gate, that, that one, I don't know. I mean, you could still, I guess, have it. Like it's not impossible yeah. to come back from. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I mean, there's so there's a lot riding on that week one game. I, it makes me, I mean, look, if they win that, it, they, they become instantly like a must watch team. I think they're still going to be a, a, a one that you definitely want to keep an eye on. But if they win that one, just knowing that the, the way the schedule breaks, I think that could be a huge game. Scott, uh, and Holman podcast podcast. I say that P a W D C a S T. You guys need to check this right. out on Twitter at S H podcast. All right. Uh, Sam Raz on, uh, here talking. He hosts that, that podcast. It's great. They talk Houston sports year round, I think so. Uh, and, and they just had a great run in basketball. So I'm sure college basketball fans out there need to check that as well. Sam, I appreciate you hopping on and talking Houston football with us, man. And uh, maybe I'll have you back as the, as the season heats up. Awesome. Anytime Colby love talking Cougar football. I appreciate it, brother. Have a wonderful day. You're the same. Thank you. That was awesome. That was awesome. Talking Houston Cougar football with Sam Raz. I'm ready for the season. That Texas tech game out the gate, getting me super excited. A lot of those games though, a lot of those games, I think Houston, you know, even if they lose that Texas tech game, which which I think, you know, they could win that, but they, if they lose that, I still think that Navy game, the Tulsa game, the, uh, the temple game that we hit on and, and SMU and maybe Memphis as well. So uh, I'm excited to watch Cougar football. I'm, ex- I'm really excited. Cause they get a lot of those weekday games too. I love those weekday games. I wish more teams played uh, FCS should play some, right? Something. Give us some more football during the week. Come on. We all love this sport. Let's do this. Um, I, I I really think they're one of the more compelling teams though in the AAC and, and nationally potentially uh, if they beat Texas tech, I think we got to start from a national standpoint, looking at them saying, Hey, huh? The schedule breaks. Nice. Could they beat these teams? I think that Navy game is going to be a big indicator too out the gate right after grambling. So uh, keep an eye on the Houston Cougars. Take that over. I think as I know, Sam, obviously he's a Homer, but I also think he knows this Houston Cougar football better than most. So I'm going to back them up on this. Take the over here, but I, do, I don't love it. I won't say it's a lock, but I think I lean 60, 40. Give me the over. That's a nice schedule for the Houston Cougars. And maybe they can get back to where they should be and get this program rolling as the 12 team playoff looms over us guys. If you're a first time listener to the college football experience, make sure you subscribe. Cause we, well, we're breaking down all 130 teams, right? a podcast for every single team. We're probably going to have some for the FCS teams too. So maybe there'll be a Sam Houston state podcast 
stay tuned. That's all I'll say. Stay tuned. We got you covered on the college football experience, but also subscribe and tell a friend and also subscribe to our other feed, which is the college basketball experience. Yes. Houston Cougar fans final four run. I mean, we will have you covered. Trust me on the college basketball experience where we talk college basketball and college football year round on both of our feeds. So subscribe to both, tell a friend, and I'm excited to see what Kelvin Sampson can do uh, essentially after that, that magical run a season ago. Um, but yes, me, Patty C NC, Nick, we, we, my co-hosts that are not with me on this episode, but we handicap every single division one college basketball and college football game. We've been doing it for four years. We've been over 500 each and every year picking every game. Yes. As a collective, but I'm talking independently. We've never had a losing season. Uh, we're also way over 500 on our locks. We give you all of that for free. Uh, on the SGPN app, go download that app right now. Like we don't charge for picks. We won't charge for picks. The only thing I'm trying to charge you for is your kindness. Once you download the SGPN app, can you leave us a nice review? Five stars, say some nice things about us. We'd certainly appreciate it. If you do take a screenshot with your phone or a Polaroid, what, what, what do I care? It could be a disposable camera for all I care, right? But find me on Twitter at the Colby D show me that review and I will send you a college football experience t-shirt. How about that? Brand new t-shirt to go with your day just for being kind. All right. Um, I'm at the Colby D. Give me a follow as well. Patty C's on Twitter at Patty C A three, one NC Nick's on Twitter at NC underscore N I C K. And don't forget to follow the Scott and Holman podcast. All right. At S H Paul pod P A W D cast. All right. Um, they're great. They're great over there. So, so give them a follow and then give them a listen to because that their, their content is quality. Um, and yeah, don't forget to follow the sports gambling podcast network at the SGP network. And don't forget to follow the college football experience at uh, TCE on SGPN. Yes. We got all of this just rattling off stuff. Also uh, make sure you follow uh, the sports gambling podcast slack channel. That's a great way to talk. Sometimes at work, they limit what you can see. Get slack get in the sports gambling podcast. You'll have a lot of fun. You'll find out you're betting on sumo wrestling or something with all different types of shit. It's great. Uh, but yes. All right, guys, this is the college football experience. Houston Cougars season preview. You better start thinking about yours and we're out.